Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 2, 1 through 10, called The Deliverer is Born. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi, Exodus 2.2. Hey, they they became quiet. Did you hear that? Thank you, Lord. (laughs) The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it, set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid and she brought it to her. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead, or go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. You may be seated. Father, thank you so much for a beautiful Sunday morning here in Southern California. Thank you that the doors have been opened to this place that we can gather in your holy name and seek your face and uh, grow in our most holy faith. And that's what we desire to do. And thank you that you've given us the word of God, which is alive and powerful And it really gets to the heart of the matter and changes us from one degree of glory to another. As long as we have ears to hear what you're saying to us and a heart to apply the truth of God's word, would you help us with all the distractions and all that's going on to put them aside and focus on you and your holy word? May you be glorified in what we say and how we navigate the text and how we apply it. May you... uh, Help your people to grow and help us all, Lord, to be a little bit more like Jesus because we've been here. In his name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, the early chapters of the book of Exodus are really about heroines that maybe we don't think of all the time, but they're about really women who stepped up and defied some radical orders given by probably the most powerful man in the world at that time, and that was the Pharaoh. And really, five women uh, are the heroes of the first couple of chapters. They're empowered by God. They do what they do because they love God and fear God. But we've already looked at the Hebrew midwives. We're going to look at Moses' mother. We find out her name was Yoshebed. Then we see the sister of Moses, who we believe is Miriam, uh, also as a heroine of the story. And then, of all things, Pharaoh's daughter, five women. And I know that women sometimes may feel like they take a bit of a backseat in the Bible. 
And maybe, you know, uh, for moms in this culture, uh, you can feel a little bit lonely, a little bit like uh, maybe you're forgotten. And I hope that we don't ever portray that to you. But I know uh, they say being a mom is probably the toughest job in the world. And uh, I think that that's true. I think that moms have so many demands and just women in general have so many things <clears throat> that come at them. I was doing a little background research on um, the Holocaust and I came across a story of Irena Sendler. You may or may not know her, but she was considered the female Schindler of her time. She uh, took care of countless people who were dispossessed by the German occupation of her country in Poland. The most vulnerable and most dispossessed were Warsaw's Jews. 400,000 of them were crowded into a three and one half <clears throat> square mile area. At great per personal risk when she was just 29, Sendler found a way to enter the ghetto, which was off limits to non-Jewish Poles, to see how she could help relieve the appalling conditions. Her biographer wrote, Irena knew she had to help the sick and starving Jews who were imprisoned in the Warsaw Ghetto. She began by smuggling food, clothing, and medicine into the ghetto. But in the fall of 1942, half of the ghetto's inhabitants were deported to Treblinka Death Camp, where they were immediately gassed upon arrival. The barbarity led Sendler and her co-conspirators, in quotes, to declare war on Hitler and redouble their efforts. Working in concert with Catholic orphanages, especially the family of Mary Orphanage in Warsaw, Sendler codenamed Jolanta and her co-conspirators helped smuggle out an estimated 2,500 Jewish children by whatever means possible, hiding them in coffins, potato sacks, and even in a toolbox. Not surprisingly, this kind of resistance to evil eventually caught the attention of the evildoers. In October 1943, Sendler was arrested by the Gestapo. Though brutally tortured, she refused to betray the network or give up the names and locations of the children she smuggled out of the ghetto. After being sentenced to death, she managed to escape with the help of well-placed bribes. You would think that such a Polish patriot would have been honored after the fall of the Third Reich, but you'd be wrong. The communist government imprisoned and tortured Sendler after the war because of her brand of resistance. Catholic and non-communist was the wrong kind of resistance. Even after Israel bestowed on her the title Righteous Among the Nations, the communist government refused to recognize her heroism, even refused to allow Sendler to travel to Tel Aviv to receive her award and see the tree that was planted in her name along the Avenue of the Righteous. Not much was known about Sendler's story here in the U.S. until the late 1990s when Kansas high schoolers researched her life and wrote a play about her called Life in a Jar, which was later adopted into a Hallmark Hall of Fame TV special. Now, based upon what we know about Sendler, the lack of notoriety probably didn't bother her. She told the Polish Senate shortly before she died, every child saved with my help and the help of all the wonderful secret messengers who today are no longer living is the justification of my existence on this earth and not a title of glory. Likewise, until her death in 2008, she rejected the title hero and said she was haunted by her failure to do more. 
But of course, she was a hero. A Christian whose courage should serve as an inspiration to us and all, and to us all, and a reminder that the most ordinary people can make an extraordinary difference. You can find out more about the life of Irena Sendler when you look up the Life in a Jar project, or you could also find out more that I'm reading from breakpoint.org. Amazing, isn't it? Uh, a woman who was willing to take a stand, she saved at least 2,500 children, probably from certain death in Nazi Germany. And that kind of heroism um, <clears throat> needs to be continued today. And I don't know what that's going to look like in our generation, but we certainly have some unprecedented times that we are now living in, and the church is facing some unique times in, in the United States But certainly we'd have to say that even with what we're facing, it's not as difficult as what we just read about with Irena having to make life and death decisions and really putting her own own life at risk. And I would ask you, as the modern church and those of you who are watching via live stream, how are you using your life in service of the king? You know, in the modern church, we have a tough time even finding enough Sunday school teachers right now. Uh, We have to combine classes right now on Sunday mornings just to teach the children that come to Living Truth. And I would imagine that we're not alone in that need of people to step up and serve. Imagine, uh, you know, if the times get tough, we're going to have to become tougher, soft-hearted but thick-skinned, no doubt. And this story I mentioned to you is really about five uh, incredibly brave women. And uh, let me pause for a second and tell you that we didn't plan it this way, but uh, today is about uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday as well. So every January, and this was signed into law by President Reagan in the 1980s, that we would acknowledge the Roe v. Wade decision that has now killed over 60 million babies in the United States of America. And the number is climbing with no end in sight. In fact, I will tell you, and I didn't mention this when we did a message on this topic, but we couldn't even sign into law in our government the Born Alive Act where a child that survived a botched abortion would get basic medical care. We couldn't even get that done in our divided government. That seems rather tragic, doesn't it? That we couldn't even do that. And by the way... uh, There is a man just down the road from us who's making pretty significant impact in the world who's an abortion survivor. Maybe you've heard his testimony before. His name is Jack Hibbs. Did you know that he survived a botched abortion? So we never know what God might do with our lives. And this story is obviously linked in many ways to the uh, devaluing of life in our throwaway society, sadly. But I want to tell you, uh, for an encouragement for the ladies, this is Proverbs 31.30. It says, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And I will tell you, over the centuries, there have been many incredibly brave women uh, in the church who have inspired me. My wife is an incredibly tough and brave woman. Many times when I've been waning and, and maybe not had everything that I needed as a man, my wife has stood by my side. 
and told me, Michael, you are called and you're going to make it. And the Lord is with you. And it's been amazing to see what a bride can do for you who fears the Lord. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here. And on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a long-time listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. An encouragement for the ladies. This is Proverbs 31.30. It says, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And I will tell you, over the centuries, there have been many incredibly brave women uh, in the church who have inspired me. My wife is an incredibly tough and brave woman. Many times when I've been waning and, and maybe not had everything that I needed as a man, my wife has stood by my side and told me, Michael, you are called and you're going to make it and the Lord is with you. And it's been amazing to see what a bride can do for you who fears the Lord. Now, the story is introduced to us with the, the word now, connecting us to the terrible decree at the very last part of chapter 1, verse 22 says, The Pharaoh, after his other program didn't work, commanded all his people, saying, 122, Every son who is born you, you are to cast into the Nile. Every daughter you are to keep alive. Now, with those tragic and frightful words, we find the introduction of the birth of the deliverer. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. You know, Bible students, that the writer, and this happens to be Moses, and he wrote this some years later, emphasizes two, uh, a male and a female from the tribe of Levi. Now, what tribe is that? Levi is the Levitical line. And that is the line of priests who would serve as a go-between between a holy God and sinful man. And this is an indication of what Moses' role would be. You remember when Moses is up on Sinai and the people of Israel have corrupted themselves and they have built the golden calf and it is Moses who intercedes for the people to the degree that he says, Lord, blot if if you're going to do this, blot me out of your book. Take me out 
instead of judging your people because I don't want your name to be dishonored. And so he is a intercessor. Some people see Moses as, uh, and you can obviously make the case for prophet and priest and perhaps even king because he was the leader of the nation. And this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is, prophet, priest, and king. And so the introduction of a man and a woman. Now, later we learn that the man is Amram, if you're taking notes, A-M-R-A-M, Amram, and her name is Yoshebed. You can write down uh, for the spelling Exodus 6.20 and Numbers 26.59. And they married and then a child is going to come in and uh, this child is not their first child. And I, I paused here for a second and I was thinking about our culture and how people are saying today, maybe we shouldn't bring children into a world like this. Maybe you've thought that, maybe you've heard that. And Amram and Yoshebed brought children into a time when they were in terrible slavery and there was even a death penalty for any male that was born into the world. Yet they didn't stop living their lives. They kept trusting in the Lord. If they could do it in their time, then certainly we can continue to have children and be blessed and do what God's called us to do in our time. Don't you agree? And so I think this pessimistic attitude about you know, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we shouldn't bring children into the world. Who knows? Maybe you'll bring a Moses into the world. Maybe you'll bring someone who will change the world. You don't know what God might do. If God blesses you and he opens the womb, then raise that child in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and you never know what the Lord might do. And so this young couple, I, I would assume that they're young at this point, are introduced to us, and they are from that Levitical line of priests. This couple could have easily said, let's not do it. After all, if a male is born to us, we have a 50% chance, in other words, of this child being under the death decree, a royal death decree. But then again, isn't every baby that comes into the world in one sense under a royal death decree? <laughs> Sometimes we forget about this, and I don't mean to be a bummer this morning. But every child born into the world eventually deals with the same fate that we all do, right? And so if we have that attitude where we think, you know, we should just be frozen uh, by fear, that's a mistake. Hebrews 11.23 says they refuse to live by fear, but by faith. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born... Hebrews eleven twenty three was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Too many people are living in fear today. And in fear of what? What are you afraid of? And faith can squash your fears. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. The fear of man is a snare. And what is man? He's going to live and die anyway, and that's about all that's going to happen. And so they lived by faith. They trusted the Lord, even in some very difficult uh, circumstances. The family of Levi became the priestly family of Israel. Aaron, Moses' older brother, became the high priest. By the way, Aaron is three years older than uh, Moses, and notice that both parents are from that tribe. If you want a little bit more on the tribe, you can look at Exodus chapters 28 through 30 and Numbers chapter 1 verses 49 through 51. 
This particular tribe took care of the tabernacle, the furnishings, etc. They were the uh, go-between between God and the nation. And the woman, we know that she is Yoshebed, conceived, verse 2, and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful, if you have an ESV, NIV, a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, any male that was born was to be thrown into the Nile River. And you can imagine the desperation of the women at this time to find unique ways to hide their children. When a baby is first born, I suppose it's a little easier because they're not moving around. Uh, really, you could place them somewhere, and if you keep them you know, kind of fed and, and okay, maybe they cry less, and it's a little easier. And we would imagine at this time that there was probably sweeps happening by the Egyptian army, and they were coming through Goshen, where the Israelites were, and they were doing regular sweeps to try to discover male children that were born. And it almost is reminiscent of the babies that were killed, the males two and under in Bethlehem. Sweeps done by the Roman army, and they would take the children and kill them. And this is obviously a very heavy and difficult time. And so, like any parent would do, she was doing what she could to hide the child, to keep him from dying. And, you know, can you imagine everyday life in that kind of circumstance for somebody like Yoshebed? And by the way, she comes to the forefront of the story, even though Amram was certainly in agreement, but he probably had to go off every day and do what? He was in slavery, in bitter, probably long, torturous hours, building cities for the Pharaoh. So all of a sudden, you know, he had to go off and maybe he was gone for weeks at a time. We don't know. And he went off in the, uh, you know, building the, the, doing the bricks and the mud dance or whatever he had to do, the taskmaster. And so Yoshebed was left to try to find a way to protect this child. You can imagine everyday life had to be so challenging. And so she saw that he was a fine child and she hid him for three months. Risky uh, business, uh, no doubt, but this is what she did. Moses was not their first child, she was, uh, nor was he their first son. They had Miriam, write down Exodus fifteen twenty as a reference. They had Aaron, who was three years older than Moses, that's Exodus 7, 7. From the narrated, narrative, it would appear that Miriam was the oldest because, remember, she's the one that's uh, walking along to see what's going to happen to Moses and engages the princess. So there are scholars that believe she's maybe as much as 12 years old. You've been listening to The Deliverer is Born, part one on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. And if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. As you know, we love to connect with our listeners, and that means you. You can email or send Pastor Michael and the rest of us here a letter. We love to get mail, so you can get all that contact information on walkintruth.com. Or if you're ready now, here's the email address. It's contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And here's our mailing address. P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California. 92878. Again, you can write us at P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. In the Bible, we have something called typology. 
What is that? And how is Moses a type of Jesus? Typology is something that says an Old Testament character like a Moses or a David would reflect or in some way shadow or be a type of the coming Messiah. Now, they wouldn't fully fill out that picture, obviously, but they would reflect some of what Messiah might do, like sit on the throne of David or be from that line or, in Moses' case, be a deliverer whom God would use to deliver the people out of bondage. That's what we mean when we're talking about typology. It's a wonderful study. The Bible is filled with typology, and it is a uh, beautiful discovery to make or to be reminded of that God will give us types and shadows in the Old Testament that will then be fulfilled in the Messiah in the New Testament. This is Pastor Michael Lance. You're listening to the book of Exodus on Walk in Truth. Hey, if you're new to us, welcome aboard. We're going to be moving through the book of Exodus, and we're excited that you're on board. So many powerful stories coming up about the burning bush and about the plagues and about the Passover and the law. I mean, this book is amazing. The crossing of the Red Sea, so much good stuff coming. Hey, tell a friend about what you're hearing. Let them know about our podcast as well on all the favorite platforms. You can search for Walk in Truth. And we will see you tomorrow as we deal with the Deliverer's Porn is Born Part 2. We'll see you right here. Thanks for your prayers and your partnership. Remember, you can always go to the website for anything you need, walkintruth.com. See you tomorrow. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 2, 1 through 10, called The Deliverer is Born. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.